So if you have your uh, worship folder handy, uh, open up there to uh, page 11, and we're going to read here in just a moment uh, from Genesis chapters 5 through 9. Uh, this morning we're going we're to cover all of those chapters, <laughs> and that doesn't mean you're going to be here until 1 p.m. Um, I, th- I think I've figured out a way to navigate through these, this, this one big story and try to make it as simple as I possibly can. And um, my, my hope is to actually make, uh, by the end, uh, what I hope are two pretty simple points uh, in, in conclusion uh, from this passage. But first, what I wanted to do was read uh, through chapters 5 and through chapter 9, and I uh, did a selected verses here that I think... Uh, paint the picture of this whole story of the flood and the story of Noah and give you the highlights uh, without getting too bogged down. So, what I want to also say before we read this is that, you know, if you have an English Bible, you'll notice that it's broken up into chapters and uh, there's 50 chapters in Genesis. That's actually a little bit unhelpful when it comes to the book of Genesis because The text of Genesis itself uh, has a very clear outline. It's broken down into ten books. And after Genesis 1 and uh, through uh, Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 3, uh, Genesis 2, 4, we're introduced to this first phrase. It's called, this is the book of the generations. And then we come to that phrase again in chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. We come to it again in chapter 6, verse um, 9. These are the generations of Noah. And what we'll, I'll try to point that out as we work through the book of Genesis. But um, one of the things I want you to notice by that is one that's very simple. That is a way that the author of Genesis is trying to convey to us that he is writing history. That there is an effort to try and record accurately a history that we no longer have access to. And that's a, that this is language that if we're going to respect the author, we have to take him at his word. And ultimately, the author is God. So, what I want to do is read, uh, this is a longer section, but let's read this. And um, sometimes it can be really helpful to just listen to the story read. It's, um, it's a good story. So let's listen and then we'll, we'll jump in. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image And named him Seth. Now we're dropping all the way down to chapter 6 verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. Blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons. Shem. Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. 
And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Now down to chapter 7, verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind. Chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains... Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, As many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations, I have set my bow in the cloud. And that shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me 
and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. So we're in the middle of a series in Genesis. And as I have said in previous weeks, this is the first of the five books of Moses. And uh, these books are written to God's people after they've been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years on their way to the promised land. And so if we're going to really understand what this book is about, we have to keep that situation in mind. People who've been through a horrible situation for generations and likely have very little memory of who they really are, where they're from, who their God is and what he's like. They've been living in the midst of a pagan nation for generations. So when we come to this, it reminds us again and again who God is, who we are, who we were made to be, what our purpose is. And as we come to Genesis chapters 5 through 9, just want to remind us that Genesis begins with God's creation week. And he ends by saying it was very good. Yet when we come to Genesis 3, the beginning of the unraveling of what was very good happens. Adam and Eve sin against God. They disobey. And as we noticed last week in chapter 4, the consequences of their disobedience, it goes deeper and reaches further. The further the story goes, as was evidenced by the story of Lamech. Now, as we come to Genesis 5 through 9, things are unraveling. Uh, they're not good. And maybe you picked up on the way in which uh, the human heart is described in the reading that we just read. Humans are dead set against God. Their hearts are corrupt and wicked. And the question for us is, how is God going to respond? What's he going to do? Is the promise that he made in Genesis chapter 3 that the, the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head? In other words, that God would set things to right through his chosen champion. Is that still true? Think of it kind of like this to help us uh, put ourselves into the story a little bit. It's like when you're a kid and your parents tell you not to do something. And despite how many times they tell you that, you, can, you continue to do it. And you know you're doing it. And you know if you continue to persist in this, eventually mom and dad are going to have a response. And sometimes you, you might wonder, your, your parents might be really consistent. Sometimes they're not so consistent. And... You live in this wonder, this sometimes even fear. How, 
how will they respond? What will their judgment, as it were, what will that look like? Well, that's what Genesis 5 through 9 help us to answer with respect to God. How is God going to respond to this downward spiral of what was his very good creation? Now, before we jump into this, I do want to just say, this is just, this is so I feel better because that's sort of what's most important this morning is I feel better about this. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, There are a number of questions that we could uh, take up from this chapter. For example, things like, was this flood, was it a global flood or was it regional? Uh, How does this story compare with other flood stories from the ancient Near East? Um, How on earth did Noah fit all those animals in that one boat? Now, it's a huge boat. Don't get me wrong. It's enormous how big this boat is. But still, how did that happen? Um, Or how does the flood narrative fit with modern geological science? Um, What about the ages of these people? I didn't read from Genesis chapter 5, which is one long big genealogy, but just take Noah at the end. Dude lived in 950 years. I don't know anybody that's lived that long. Now, there's all of these questions, and I'm happy to answer those or dialogue about those, and I'll touch on a few of those, but I just want you to know, my goal this morning is really to get us into the the mainstream of this story. And um, I don't want to get too distracted by some really good questions, and I, I want you to hear me say that, that they're really good questions. But I also don't want you to miss the good news that there is here in this story. So um, thank you for bearing with me on that. I just want you to know it's not lost on me at all that um, this is a strange story and we're just going to admit that and jump in. So here's what I want to do. I want to look at two points, creation undone and then creation redone. Creation undone and creation redone. So let's first look at creation undone. Uh, when, you, when you enter into this story in chapter 5 and enter into chapter 6, what's the current situation as we enter into this story of the flood? Well, first of all, chapter 5 begins with Adam and Eve and his descendants after Lamech has disappeared from the storyline and Abel has been dead, the, the first two sons of Adam and Eve. So here the story picks up with Adam's line through Seth. And Genesis 5 tracks Adam's descendants all the way until Noah. Now, you know, you might read that, uh, that genealogy in chapter 5, and many have in the past to try to determine how old the earth is. And I just, I just want to tell you, if that's a big hang-up for you, um, it is increasingly the case that genealogies in the Bible are not necessarily intended to give you an absolute time frame. In fact, many genealogies in the Bible have significant gaps in them. And that's on purpose. It's a literary way for the author 
to show historical connection from generation to generation and to highlight key figures in that genealogy, but at the same time to keep the story moving very quickly in order to get to the next main character. And in this case, it's Noah. So here we have the story progresses rapidly from Adam to Noah and his three sons. Now, what's the situation that Noah finds himself in? Well, look in chapter 6, verse 1, which I don't have on your, um, your page for you. But chapter 6, verse 1 reads, When man began to multiply in the face of the land. Population is growing. Uh, men and women are scattering. Uh, the earth is beginning to fill with human beings. Yet, what do we notice? What did God see about this? Chapter 6, verse 5. What we see is the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Or verse 11 through 12 again, God saw that the earth was corrupt, filled with violence. And, he, and God saw that all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Now I just want you to see, the, the language here is absolute. Every thought and intention of the heart was only evil continually. This is one of the places where theologians get the, the, the term total depravity, describing the state of the human heart after the fall in Genesis 3. That the human heart, now and also you should know, what does the Bible mean by heart? It does not mean the emotions. In our culture, heart usually means feelings or emotions. That is not what the Bible means. The heart in the Bible is the, so, the source or the root of the, the, the will, of the emotions and the mind. That the, what we think, what we long for, what we feel all comes from what the Bible says is the heart. And it is thoroughly corrupt. That's the situation that Noah finds himself in. And he is here the main character of this section. And how do you know that? Well, you might not know this unless I told you. But if you read Genesis 5, and then you go to Genesis 10, there are 10 generations from Adam to Noah. Then there are 10 generations from Noah to Abraham. The writer is telling us that Noah is the central figure here in this section of Genesis 1 through 11. That God's response to the unraveling of his very good creation is going to find its center point in this person, Noah. And he's compared with his generation generation here. He's described as one who found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Chapter 6, verse 8. Chapter 6, verse 9, he's described as righteous, as blameless. What does that mean? Those are two ways that the writer describes someone who he says walks with God. The idea here, describing Noah as righteous, is that he is concerned to work for the the good of other people. He's, He's concerned to work for what's right, according to what God sees as right. 
And as blameless, think of it as wholehearted commitment, a wholehearted relationship with God. In other words, we're presented here with Noah not as a perfect human being, as we'll see. He's not exempt from the description of the human heart here. But he is described as unique in his generation. He is a picture of what true faith looks like in a world shot through with sin and brokenness and shame. So then what is God's response as we enter into this story? How, does, how do we see create creation unravel? Well, we see, first of all, in verse 13, God's response to this situation. In chapter 6, verse 13, he says, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. God's judgment here is absolutely total. He is going to wipe the face of the earth clean. Every animal, every creature, every human being is going to die. It's a pretty sobering statement. And at the very same time, God says to Noah, he says in verse 14, make yourself an ark. He's going to rescue Noah. He's providing a way through the waters of judgment for this man of faith and his family and all who would come after him. And all of these animals and creatures that God has told him to bring into the ark. God promises to rescue Noah. And what I want you to see about the ark, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but if you were to sit down and look at any um, Bible scholars that talk about this, this part of the story of the Bible, the ark is a miniature creation. Think about that for a moment. It's a miniature creation. God puts on this boat, man created male and female after his image, and he puts on this boat all of these creatures. And it's very interesting just to note, to think about this, that the ark is a miniature creation. In chapter 6, verse 20, he says, he describes, I think I have it in here, um, No, I don't have it on your page. But in chapter 6, verse 20, it says, when he's describing all the animals that he's to bring on, he says, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Does that sound familiar, that phrase, according to its kind? That's an echo of Genesis chapter 1, when God called forth from the ground all of the creatures, all the animals, of his very good creation. The ark is a miniature creation. So then what is then in the meeting of the flood? It's God's undoing of creation. God is reversing what he did in chapter 1 through the judgment of water. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, The description of creation at that point is there's darkness over the deep waters. And God's spirit was hovering over the deep. It's a picture of going back to the beginning, starting over. And then we see in chapter 7, verse 20 to 23, everything dies. 
Everything dies. All flesh died that moved on the earth, including all of mankind. And here's the question. So what about Noah? Will God remember Noah? Through this great flood, this great judgment against rebellion against God. That's the creation undone. God undoes everything. He wipes it clean. But what about the creation redone? Will he remember Noah? Look at chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. If you remember in in chapter 7, verse 18, God says to Noah, I will make a covenant with you. In other words, I'm promising to see you through this judgment. I will rescue you. And then when we come to chapter 8, God remembers this covenant. He does rescue Noah and his family. He causes the waters to recede. And he calls Noah and his family and all the creatures to come out of this big boat. And to discover this renewed earth. I want you to pause and think for a moment. This is a big story. But what should you see here for you personally? The situation is terrible. God makes a promise to Noah. God sees him through this terrible judgment. And he calls him out to a renewed earth. God's judgment on sin never negates his promise to rescue. You know, it, it, it is, I understand this, but that for some people they read the Bible and it just feels like there's nothing but wrath and judgment and, and condemnation and you're going to get it. And, and I understand that. But what you have to understand, God's judgment is never it never stands alone. It always is followed by God's mercy and his rescue, his promise to restore and to renew. So how then does God renew this earth? Let me, let me try to work quickly through this, but I want, I want to try to tie this down for you. Bruce Waltke, he's a um, very well-known, uh, well-accomplished Old Testament scholar, and his uh, commentary on Genesis He walks through all the ways that chapter 8 and 9 mirror chapter 1. That show us that God is remaking his world. Let me try to walk through this and show you. In chapter 1 verse 2, God's spirit hovered over the face of the waters. And in chapter 8 verse 1, God sends a wind over the engulfing waters to renew the earth. That term... Uh, spirit in chapter 1 is the same word for wind. God's wind he sends over the waters of the flood to dry it up and and renew the earth. But not only that, God, even as he divided the waters in chapter 1, in chapter 8 God regathers the waters and he reestablishes the boundaries between the sky and the earth. In chapter 1, Uh, God separated the dry ground from the water to to create dry land for vegetation. And he does it again in chapter 8. 
the dry ground emerges again. The sky once again houses the birds. That's what we get in the imagery of the dove that, that Noah lets out from the ark. That the skies now again are the home of the winged creatures. The living creatures of the sky and the land are called out from the ark. Just like God first called them out in chapter 1 as he created them. And then we have the reappearance of the family of Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives, all of whom bear God's image, all of whom have received this calling to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth, to be God's servants, to rule the earth, to tend for it, to care for it, to see it flourish. And God blesses humanity. He provides for them. And he renews again their calling. All of these things in Genesis 8 and 9 mirror God's first creative work in chapters 1 and 2. Now, what does this mean for us? What does God's renewed creation result in? The eternal covenant or the everlasting covenant. Look in chapter 9, verse 9. God says to Noah, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you. And then he gives him a sign. Verse 12, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between you and every living creature. It's what we call a rainbow. God putting his bow in the clouds, a visible symbol that he will see and he will remember to never again wipe out the face of the earth and all living creatures. What does this tell us? Here's one of the things, one of the, the, the two points I want to try to leave you with this morning. This story tells us that out of the disaster and judgment comes renewal. Remember, who was this written to? This was written to God's people who spent 400 years under brutal enslavement and judgment. Not free. Experiencing the unraveling of creation, the violence and the consequences of sin. Here what we have, God's promises provide hope that nothing in this world can take from you. Let me say that again. This story provides hope to you that nothing in this world can take from you. Think about that. There are lots of things that can hurt you. You can hurt you. Other people can hurt you. But God's promises give us a hope that nothing in this world can take from you. And how can you be sure that this promise of this eternal covenant, God's commitment to you, to his creation, will actually reach you personally? Well, In chapter 6, verse 18, when God first makes this promise to to Noah, I will make a covenant with you. The you, the the pronoun you is singular. But when we come to chapter 9, and he says, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, the you is now plural. And it's for everyone who comes after him. And here is a gospel principle that I want you to see that's embedded in this story. 
And it's this, that by one's man, one man's obedience, many are blessed. You see, Noah, God told Noah, build this ark, follow my word, and he did it. And it is through that obedience that God sees him through this horrible judgment. That's a gospel principle. In Romans chapter 5, we see the same principle applied to Jesus. When the Apostle Paul says it's by one man's obedience that many will be made righteous. See, what you're intended to see here is that Jesus is a new and better Noah. Jesus is a new and better Noah. In fact, the Apostle Peter, in his first letter, he likens Christian baptism to the experience of Noah and his family in the ark and the flood. But there is a major difference Noah makes his way through the judgments of the waters and the flood and the ark. But what Peter tells us is that you make your way through the judgment of God's waters through the resurrection of Jesus. That here we find that Jesus actually describes his death and resurrection as a baptism. And the good news is Because he goes through that judgment. That that judgment is poured out on him. He's wiped out. That if you belong to him, you will make it safely through God's judgment. And in fact, you are described as nothing less than a new creation. God remaking not just the earth, but the human heart the image bearers of God, to reflect him according to his original design. So here's what I want to leave you with. What does this story tell you? What does this flood story tell you? What it tells you is God will win in the end. And some of you need to hear that today. Some of you are here And you know the situation, or you can relate to the situation that we described in the beginning. The wickedness of the human heart, even your own heart. And you see terrible things, and you wonder, when will God ever make this right? And this story is intended to tell you, no matter how much unraveling you see, God can undo it. And he can make it beautiful again. And that's not only true about all that God has made, that is true about you personally. That's true for you if you are here this morning and you've, you've always known Jesus and trusted in him. That's true of you if you're here and you don't know Jesus and you don't trust in him. There is good news for you. God will win in the end. And the story of Jesus is how he catches you up into that good news. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this story. Uh, we pray that where there are, there are lurking questions, uh, you would give us patience. Uh, you'd help us to pursue you through your word. But most of all, we ask that uh, you would help us to see that there is good news, even through judgment, 
even through the brokenness of this world that is so often so real and even more real than the promises you make, the good news that you give, the work that you've done in Jesus. And, and we ask that you would use this story to flip that problem. That you would help us to, to feel and to know and to experience in the depths of our beings that what is most true and most real is the good news of Jesus. That he has, he has entered into the waters of judgment so that we could enter into new life through faith in you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.